0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a pro pumpkin carver on the pod to talk all about his passion as a sculptor and where he gets his creepy inspiration. He is an artist, sculptor, winner of Outrageous Pumpkins in 2019, and now back as a judge this year, it's Paul Dever. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Happy fall. I imagine this is a busy time of year for you. What does your typical fall season look like?
1: My fall season, like a lot of pumpkin carvers, it starts at the end of July, usually the beginning of August. And that time is spent booking your travel for gigs that people missed out on the year before. So you're playing catch up from the year before. And then oh. as you get into fall, now you're looking for those great pumpkins. And that's when the, you know, the commissions and the local events start coming in. So I've been in fall mode since the middle of August, pretty much.
0: Wow. So, I mean, is it fall like year round for you or are you just... Thankfully um, not.
1: I love the summer. Okay. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I love the fall. But yes, it, there is, there's a lot of um, touching of bases throughout the year from past clients and people that want to get ahead of the curve and, and things like that. So it's pretty, It's a, it's a good problem to have. So... Yeah. Oh, yeah well, I,
0: As you kind of alluded to, you are a celebrity in the pumpkin carving world. You won Outrageous Pumpkins back in 2019, and now you are coming back as a judge this season. So can you kind of just walk us through your career as a sculptor and how you found that passion?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's funny you called me a celebrity of pumpkin carvers. That's hilarious. I... <laughs> you don't think
0: so? No, no. We're all we're
1: all actually yeah, pumpkin culture. We're just all friends and we all support each other. So, But that's a very funny and cool thing to hear. <laughs> I wasn't classically trained. I, I learned growing up in a family full of artists that mm. sort of everyone did it as their hobby. No one ever did it for work. So I was just always the kid in class that could draw a little bit better than everybody else or sculpt a little bit better. And by the time I got to high school, I realized that if it didn't interest me... I didn't really want to do it. So I failed high school at most of the time. Mm. And so it really didn't click for me with sculpture till I was in maybe my mid-20s. That that was something that I really, really enjoyed doing, just sort of as therapy and as a hobby. And as things progressed, you know, here I am now. Who who would have thunk it?
0: <laughs> what what is it about it that you that you love so much?
1: Uh the pumpkin sculpting itself, I like the ephemeralness of it where it's just you, you hyper focus for five, six, seven hours and then it's gone in a couple of days. Like you put every ounce of energy into it. But sculpture in general, I just like being able to use your hands and your mind to create something that comes straight from your demented brain sometimes. Like, how did I do that? How did, Where did that come from? Because a lot of times I don't like to use reference either so that it's it's completely off the cuff.
0: How often... Are you able to, you know, replicate in your sculptures exactly what's in your brain? And how often does it kind of take on a life of its own as you're going?
1: Uh, well, if somebody on the outside is asking, it's exactly <laughs> how I wanted it to be.
0: Of course. <laughs> but
1: no, it, it never looks exactly like you want it to. And, and a lot of times that's a happy accident because you sometimes if you make a mistake, especially with pumpkins, because you can't make mistakes unless, you know, you can glue things on sometimes. But in other situations, you really just have to go with the process and the flow of what your brain's telling your hands to do. Mm. But it always comes out perfect, Jamie, every single time.
0: (laughs) Of course. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned you started, you know, as an artist and and as a sculptor, but how did the gourds come into the picture as an artistic medium for you?
1: Well, it's sort of like a uh, fairy tale of pumpkin carving for me because (laughs) I used to watch Outrageous Pumpkins with my wife years ago. Okay. Wow. I didn't know you could do that with pumpkins. So I saw Ray Villafane do it for the first time way back in the day. And I just said to my wife jokingly, wouldn't it be funny if someday I could get to compete on that show? So I started buying pumpkins and trying to replicate what I was seeing on outrageous pumpkins. And one thing leads to another, Jamie, and here we are.
0: <laughs> Don't gloss over it. I mean, how how did you actually, you know, land a spot on the show after being a fan of it for for so many years, practicing? and And how did you get your chance?
1: I got my chance, strangely enough, just because I would post a picture or two a year on social media once I started having kids, the cute picture with the baby and a pumpkin Mm -hmm. at my house. And a friend of mine had sent it along, like shared it or whatever you do. And then I got a gig with a pumpkin carving company doing a live carving event and shortly after got an email from representatives of one of the production companies saying, hey, would you be interested in coming on the show. So I didn't actually have to audition, which was huge, because I probably never would have. You know, okay. it's like one of those things like, uh, I'll never be able to compete with those guys. So I, I was, you know, beside myself that they even reached out. So of course, I'm going to jump at the opportunity, especially after I said that to my wife. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, I'll do that if it ever comes up. So that's how it happened. It's just luck, really.
0: That's incredible. I mean, how do you practice, though, for something like that year round on something that's so seasonal, like pumpkins?
1: Well, when there aren't pumpkins, what I do is I carve butternut squash and kabocha squashes. Okay. Because they're butternut squash. If they could make a pumpkin-sized butternut squash, I'd probably never carve (laughs) another pumpkin. It's the perfect medium. It's like really hard clay, and it holds detail. But that's how we practice, and that goes across the board for most professional pumpkin carvers. And uh, so I've been doing it every week now for the last two-plus years live. I carve live every single week so people can wow. watch and ask questions.
0: What What are some of the tools that you use that may surprise people?
1: That may surprise people? Uh, mm-hmm. The biggest one that surprises people, that's uh, silly enough, is super glue, and okay. how important that is, and people don't, you, you watch the puzzled look on their face like a young puppy when, you, when you're saying, the glue is the, the key, like you need, if you want glints in the eyes, or if you want to glue on the tip of the nose or ears, but I've used everything from cheese slicers, Um, All kinds of dowels and and silly tools, pens, empty pens. Anything you can find in a kitchen drawer, I've probably used. But for the most (laughs) part, what I keep in my tool bag that's essential is that cheese slicer and super glue.
0: You know, looking at your Instagram feed, it kind of seems like faces are are, are definitely your focus. So where do you get the inspiration for these, you know, creepy ideas and creations?
1: Well, faces being the most interesting part of Mm. It, it tells a story expression can can you know it can make you afraid. It can make a little a kid run up to it and and just start smiling because he loves the face. So I've always been interested in the expression that you can tell a story with faces, and my inspiration is usually just me taking silly photos of myself and zooming in on certain parts of my face. so
0: <laughs> so you are your own inspiration. You are your own muse,
1: <laughs> yes, and my own worst enemy at times
0: <laughs> as is the case for a lot of us for sure. As far as, you know, competing on the show, what were some of the most challenging facets of, of being on a carving competition show? And how is that different from just, you know, what you're doing on this weekly basis at home?
1: Well, we don't have a clock for me. I you know, <laughs> when I competed, the clock that looms huge. You know, you're constantly watching it. And another thing is you're there with other people that are considered the best at what they do. So that's another big you know, that's just weighing on you. The anxiety gets crazy and you're staring at the clock, you're looking over at the other table and you're saying, oh, well, that's, that's really good. And so there's all that. I don't have any of that during the week. I'll bring <laughs> on, well, you know, I have, I, I carve with friends and we'll bring on guests from around the world. And we just have a conversation about sculpture and, and what, what, what their hangups are. What are their insecurities about it? What makes them feel better? How do you get through it? So we talk about a lot of that stuff and it helps. But if you're on a show and you see that clock, you're not getting around it. You're, if you watch it's, it. You can hear every tick. It's crazy.
0: Leading up to the show, I mean, did you did you practice with, you know, timed, you know, challenges and the clock, like, as you say, ticking down just to get ready for it? Or did you kind of go in and just wing it?
1: Well, a little bit of both because I'm just I'm ADD head when it comes to like being super structured for that. Plus, it takes, you know, your creativity away. But I did time myself a lot leading up to when I competed just to make sure I could get things inside of certain windows because you'd always watch the show, like to give them two hours for this and they'll give them three hours for that. So I would practice certain things over and over again and try and get faster at them. But then once I saw the clock, it basically just took all my practice and threw it out the window. I was was a puddle.
0: What surprised you the most about being on the show just in terms of, I mean, it can be anything from the actual TV production to the, the competition itself.
1: The thing that surprised me the most was just how genuinely nice and helpful everyone was because some of these shows you'll see everybody's backstabbing each other and this all this drama and blah 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 so I was kind of going in with a little chip on my shoulder saying nobody you know nobody's messing with me and then I get there (laughs) I'm like you people are so nice I can't trust you now like which is it so just (laughs) everybody from top to bottom it was so helpful and you know if you know there'd be a point where there was one point where I really was stuck for a moment and I didn't know how to figure it out and Every Even even the other contestants were like, did you try this? Did you try that? The judges Mm. were like, we can't help you, but I'm saying, you know, there's
0: things
1: (laughs) instead of everybody zipping their lip and being like, oh, let's see what he can do. So that was the biggest surprise for me was just how good the people were across the board.
0: I love hearing that. Um, It seems like, you know, a really good camaraderie when you when you watch it from, you know, from home. But it's 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 good to hear that that's exactly how it is on the show. Since, you know, competing, what's your life been like? What what opportunities have you had since being on the show?
1: Well, you mean other than being the new judge of Outrageous Pumpkins? I know. Well, we're the getting big to that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a pretty big one. No, yeah, I was curious if there was anything else, you know, in the last couple of years, because we're definitely going to talk about your your judging debut.
1: Yeah, no, sure. So I, I got a lot more opportunity to travel Last couple of years, I've done Chicago, and the, as recent as last year, I went to New Mexico to carve, and that was kind of all based on notoriety from the show. A lot of high-profile commissions, like the New England Patriots, flew me home from Ooh, Chicago to cool. do a couple for Bill's 300th win. So, yeah, those things are pretty cool, especially you know being from the Northeast. It's um, yeah, it's been busy. Let's say that.
0: That's awesome. I mean, the, the travel sounds incredible. What what is, what kind of events are are you getting hired to, you know, come and carve at?
1: A lot of them are um, pumpkin style walkthrough events where they'll have, you know, a thousand jack-o'-lanterns set up. And then they'll bring in live carvers from around the country to do these live demos because you really don't get to see the style of carving that we do, the sculpting. You never see that. You see jack-o'-lanterns mm. on people's porches, or if you go to an event, it's the really cool, the etched ones, you know, that's really artistic, but you don't see somebody slapping a face or making a giant zombie on a pumpkin. So that's usually <laughs> what I get brought into these like fall festivals and these haunted attractions to do. I just hang out under a tent and answer questions and have fun carving. It's the coolest thing ever.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a pretty sweet gig. What What's the feedback, uh, you know, when you get to interact with some of these people who get to kind of see this, you know, come to life in, in person?
1: They love it. Well, the adults first have a million questions about the tools and how do you do that as a fun one? Because it's like you're watching me like I've drawn back the curtain watch. I'm going to move my <laughs> hand and scrape. It's a lot of scraping. I love when the kids like between like eight and maybe, you know, young teenagers, you can see their eyes light up like this is what I'm going to do this. Like and then the mother will say, where, where can I buy these tools? Where can I do this? And it's mm. here you go. Here's the links to everything. I want to see this kid working next year. So I when I go to these things, the feedback, if I can get a couple of kids next year to get into it, that's the next generation of people that are going to love Halloween and they're going to love the pumpkin culture of it all. And just be artistic. Have fun. Yeah. You don't need to sit in your basement on a video game. You can get out there and make stuff.
0: Yeah. D- d- do some stuff with your hands right. for sure. Uh, well, as you mentioned, you are. Uh, one of the judges of this brand new season, what did it feel like when you got the call or, you know, the the notification that they wanted you to to be a judge?
1: It was surreal. It's it's kind of hard to explain, especially because, like I said, the reason I carve pumpkins is because of outrageous pumpkins. So, you know, the season that I was on, I I had the, the triple threat. I had Terry, Mark, Evan and Ray Villafane, like three of my favorite artists on the show. So. To step to be asked to step into that role that has been held by you know a couple of my artistic idols was laughable to me. Like, who who am I to be stepping into those shoes?
0: (laughs) So it's
1: a complete honor. I'm I'm totally jazzed about it. I still can't believe it. I can't wait to see it. So,
0: what is your judging strategy like? Especially you know having been on the other side and been in those competitors' shoes.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I I I think about this a lot. Like when somebody asks me how how are you going to judge it? Well. I want to be fair and you want to have constructive criticism. I don't want to call it criticism because I don't want to dump on them. I, I've been there. I've been in their shoes. I know how hard it is in a time frame to do your best work. So I think my judging style was more, this is what you're doing right. And then here comes the tough love because if you don't listen, you're going to be in big trouble. I'm trying to give you a little bit of an answer to a test. you know, Because at the end of the day, it was Terry and I making all these decisions. Mm-hmm. So you know, I tell them what I really like about it. And then I'd kind of ease into what you could change to make this a little bit better. Because if you don't, <laughs> you, you're going to be packing your suitcase. So tough, tough, but fair, I guess, is the way I judge.
0: Uh, well, speaking of Terry, uh, Disney Imagineer, your your co-judge and also host Sonny Anderson. What was it like working with the two of them?
1: Well, well Terry's a legend. Uh, since 2019, I've stayed in touch with Terry. She's been one of my biggest supporters so to get to actually work alongside her was pretty, it was unbelievable. I, I mean, from 2019 till now, I would I would text her like, hey, tell me that story. Or I'd have her into when I do live cars. But like, tell me that story about Ghostbusters. Tell me about working with Jim Henson. Like, she's one of my favorite people in the world. She's her personality is infectious. She can't help but be you can't have it not have a good time when she's around.
0: <laughs> Any behind the scenes stories you can share? I mean, like, what are you guys are you guys just really just watching them the entire time or or are there breaks? Like, how does that all work?
1: Um, I think because I was the newbie, I wasn't, (laughs) I wanted to watch them the whole time. And and they did want some separation so that the contestants didn't feel all the pressure. And I was like, well, everybody watched me the whole time. So they're (laughs) going to feel the pressure (laughs) of me. But yeah, there's a lot, you know, there's downtime, but it's a lot of conversations about what we saw before. We're we're Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, we're deliberating really, like what we like, what we see so far, even if it was only a a sneak peek of what they were about to do. So there was a lot of that kind of talk and a lot of downtime. There was a lot of Ted Lasso. Who I got, <laughs> T- Terry caught me the hookup because I hadn't seen it yet. So thank you, Terry.
0: Ah, Well, that's I mean, that's a great feel good uh, series to be watching on your downtime for sure. I mean, are, how often are you are you watching these carvers and you're just like thinking about what you would be doing differently?
1: About oh, the whole time, <laughs> the entire time. Sometimes you're like, wow. Like, I don't even know if I could pull that off in this time frame. And then there's other times where it's like, can I just help them for a minute, please? Just (laughs) two minutes of my time. But you know, these are some of the world's best carvers. So they don't, they're going to do great work no matter what. So it's, it's a lot, it was a lot of, wow, like what a cool idea. And that's what I love about it is you can give, you could give 20 people the same parameters of what they needed to do and you're going to get 20 different results. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I love about the show is you, apply these challenges and then what each contestant comes up with is mind-boggling at times like wow that's that's a good imagination now let's see what you can do with it
0: (laughs) did you miss did you find yourself missing the competition like would you ever go back and and compete again or or are you happy to be on the other side of things
1: yeah you know there's there's going forwards there's moving lateral and then there's going backwards I don't know you can go out on top (laughs) <laughs> you know, like I, That's true. I mean, I love I love where I'm at now because I, I get to meet a lot of the new and up-and-coming carvers and I get to hang with Sonny and Terry. And, you know, I would never want to wish that away. But I mean, if the opportunity arose, I, sh- I, I guess I would compete again. But I'm the old dog in the game now. There's a lot of young <laughs> talent out there. I want to see the, the, what they can do.
0: Maybe an all-star edition or something. They can bring, um, you know, some people back. And, and that might be kind of fun.
1: Yeah, as long as I get uh, to build a team.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> One of the other things I love about the show is it it's not just visuals. There's a lot of storytelling that goes into these creations as well. How much does a good narrative kind of influence the overall judging?
1: It's huge because every every round has a strict set of rules you have to adhere to, right? So if you really read through some of this, If you don't have good storytelling, you're again, you might be packing your bags because that's half the challenge is telling the story. Like if we can walk up and look at somebody's piece and say, well, it's obvious what this is. You nailed the challenge. You're in good position. But if you walk up and say, I have no idea what I'm looking at right now, you know, you have to be able to tell a story. And I think that helped me the year that I won was storytelling. But it also helped that I listened to the judges. I could hear them. (laughs) Mm. I could hear them talking and it was like, oh man, I really, I spent two hours on that one thing. And that's the one thing they don't like. And it's like, well, you have integrity, right? You stick to your design or do you listen and earn points with the judges and it helps tell you a story. And at the end it did work. So the storytelling and listening to what the judges are telling you is always a big factor in competition.
0: Is that why you think you were so successful is that you listened and you kind of took those suggestions and criticisms and and applied it to the next challenge? 100%.
1: 100%. Because if I didn't, if I thought I knew more than those three legends that were judging me, then I don't deserve to be there anyway. You should constantly be trying to take criticism the right way. So if if these three are in agreement that what I'm doing isn't the right thing, who am I to tell them that they're (laughs) wrong? So listening is... It's so valuable. You you can't even put, like, the right amount of words to it. Just listen.
0: Uh Uh-huh. That's a good uh, life advice as well, right? Oh, oh, 100%. Uh, If you could create a signature challenge for the show, what would it be?
1: That's a good one. This is a a thinker, too. I personally love on Outrageous Pumpkins or or any, any kind of competition show where I see The contestants genuinely surprised by what happened. So I would love to incorporate some sort of situation where it's a random draw of the subject. Mm -hmm. But based on how they're drawn, the contestants swap with the other contestants. You know what I mean? so, So somebody's trying to throw you under the bus right off the bat. And I would like to see them only be able to use like maybe one or two of their own tools And, you know, a silly amount of pumpkins, just something that really can't be done. Like, I don't want to give away all my ideas because I do have some (laughs) ideas, but that would be a good like one of them would be if they had to um, hit a hit a certain pumpkin with a a subject on it with like a bow and arrow. Probably not the best thing for TV, but (laughs) I would love it. It would make for great TV. I
0: mean, I think it'd be great TV. It might not be the safest challenge, but as long as nobody's
1: downrange, it's
0: all good. It's all good. Do you have a favorite challenge from the season?
1: I do. I do. There's one challenge specific that where they had to build architecture out of pumpkins, which are round objects. So immediately wow. I was impressed with everything right off the bat and the amount of material that they had to use to get straight shapes. You know, you got to cut them into pieces and and reshape them to create these monstrous structures. It was crazy. It was so impressive. That's when I'm so glad I wasn't competing because I don't want to do that. That's
0: <laughs> not for me. Coming up next, Paul gives us the inside scoop on this season of Outrageous Pumpkins. Uh, well, it sounds like a, an amazing season. What do you think fans can look forward to the most? Any, any surprises in store? There's a lot of surprises. Oh, (laughs) no no spoilers, spoilers. but
1: there are a lot of surprises to the point that I was surprised and I thought I knew everything, but I was even surprised. So they did a great job this year of of kicking it up another notch. And they brought in some great artists from across the country that are just doing things with a lot of power tools these days. We didn't use a lot of power (laughs) tools back in 19, but yeah, just bigger and better this year. The challenges are crazy and there's a lot more vibrant color involved and just things you don't normally see, which is it's for me coming from the pumpkin culture. I'm so excited to see where the show is headed. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we are excited to watch it. It's always a fall favorite for everybody on Food Network. So looking forward to it and seeing your your judging debut as well. Uh, We are going to finish things off with some rapid fire questions. And then we have one final question that we ask everybody on the podcast. So rapid fire, weirdest thing you've ever carved.
1: An advent calendar out of cheddar cheese, the largest one in the world. Whoa! Yes.
0: Oh my goodness, I need to look that one up. Uh, your favorite Halloween candy?
1: Reese's Peanut Butter Cup.
0: Oh, same. Uh, especially the super fresh ones, like the the pumpkin-shaped ones. Yes, those um, are the ones. Those, those are, are the best. They're amazing. Are you a pumpkin spice person?
1: Not To the extent of crazy person, but I enjoy a muffin from now now on then.
0: (laughs) Okay, all right. Carving tool you could not live without?
1: Any of my raked ribbon ribbon loops. So we have the tools with rakes on the side so you can scratch at it. If I didn't have those, I'd be lost.
0: Key to choosing a good pumpkin at the pumpkin
1: patch? Weight, first of all, and then shape. It has to inspire you.
0: Okay. The weight, like you, you look for like a heavy one, or the heaviest
1: you can find. If you pick it up and it feels like a cinder block, that's the one.
0: That's the one. Okay. Favorite fall activity?
1: Pumpkin carving, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But followed closely by apple picking with the wife and kids. I love it. We do it.
0: Okay, that's always a good time. Uh, Food Network face that you would like to carve into a pumpkin.
1: That's a good one. I'm not. I'm not really a portrait guy. Just. For the sake of not offending anybody, but <laughs> I do think there's so two, na- two faces pop into my head, which would be one would be Carla Hall. She's got a beautiful long face and she always oh, has yeah. the cool glasses. That would be mm-hmm. fun. And then Guy Fieri.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's
1: just got a look you know, that you could pull off sort of a caricature of. It would be nice.
0: Yeah, classic silhouette that everybody knows for sure. Um, all right, last question for you. This is not rapid fire, so you can take as long as you want on this one. Uh, we just want to know what would be on the menu for your perfect food day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. You can kind of just take us through the progression of the day. There are absolutely no rules. So you can travel, time travel, spend absurd amounts of money, whatever you want. Uh, we just want to hear what you're eating for all those meals on your ideal day.
1: Hmm. Good one. Well, I'm a simple guy. I don't think I'd have to travel back in time or raise anybody from the dead to do it.
0: (laughs) Okay, I think
1: for me, the perfect breakfast would be an omelet. And I love watching Bobby Flay talk about his Southwestern style of cooking with all the peppers. So Bobby could make me an omelet. Okay. That would be delicious. Love that. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm a simple guy. So I'm going to go with what I know. And for lunch, I would have my own wife's turkey chili because it's my favorite thing on the planet. So also, gonna, a
0: good fall dish, too.
1: Yes, it's perfect. It's, it's amazing. And I'm never like making my own lunch this time of year because I'm always carving. So she will <laughs> deliver it to me, which is <laughs> even more important. And for dinner. All right. So again, I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy, but I'll, I'll, I'll up it for you, Jamie. I'm going to okay. say I'll say a surf and turf, lobster, mac and cheese, and a filet with some garlic mashed potatoes. And I'm going to have Sunny cook it for me.
0: Oh, okay. I like that. Because she's I like got that. the nice
1: farm. I'll go over to her place and we can have dinner on the back porch with the dog that she adopted on the set of Outrageous Pumpkins.
0: Oh, really?
1: Heart of gold, this woman. She's amazing.
0: She. What, it was just like a stray dog like around the set? Or? I don't really want
1: to tell the whole story because it's such a good story that if I stole it from her, she'd kill me. Okay. But yeah, a, do- a dog wandered onto the set, needed some help. And she said, you know what? This dog's not leaving the set. This is my dog now. And, and wow. she hooked up the dog and... She just sent me pictures uh, a couple weeks ago because, you know, I was I was wanting to see how the dog was doing. And he's twice the size. The dog looks so healthy. <laughs> it's, it's the best life. He, the, he hit the dog lottery that day.
0: <laughs> All right. So you and Sonny and the dog are hanging out on the back porch uh, with some surf and turf. Are you having dessert?
1: Dessert would be tiramisu. I don't know how you okay. go wrong with tiramisu. I don't care who makes it as long as it's not coming <laughs> from like the local supermarket.
0: Uh I, I, I'm a Tiramisu fan as well. Sounds like a perfect day. I'm sure there'll there'll be some pumpkin carving, you know, mixed in as well. But uh sounds delicious and we are so looking forward to the brand new season of Outrageous Pumpkins and seeing you uh on the judges panel.
1: Me too. Thanks for having me. This was great.
0: Thank you so much. All right. I am definitely in the Halloween spirit now. Uh, I wonder if there's any pumpkin patches in Brooklyn. <laughs> you can catch Paul in the new season of Outrageous Pumpkins, Sunday nights at ten nine central on Food Network and streaming on Discovery Plus. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.